We're glad you are in the house tonight. Um, I, I want to specifically uh, welcome Tomaskin here. Um, I think this is your first time being in here. Um, I, I said this over him, but I would just ask if, and I know you guys will, uh, just agree as I say this, uh, that we bless Tomaskin and, and his family. And uh, I believe, um, you know, you're going to walk out of here with your life being better than you came in here, man. More grace, because that's the will of God. He wants to give you more. There's no doubt about that. So we just want to agree with him and, you know, serve you in that way. If you have anything else before um, Tomaskin leaves, then please uh, bless him with that. All right, Karis, announcements. Woohoo, announcements. All right, welcome everybody. Um, for those of you who are new here, uh, you can go through this door and the bathroom is right back there. Um, everybody else, last week was an extra special week because we had our potluck and we were um, fasting together as a church family all from different things, and not all of us joined in it, which was fine, because it's an invitation. It was not, it was not a forced thing. Um, but the fast was, was called the Phil Fast, for those of you who didn't get to participate in it. It stood for, it was P-H-I-L. I don't know if I remember everything, so I'd appreciate help from the audience. Um, P was for the Penners, and for Philadelphia, love. Um, uh, H was for humility, and holiness, <laughs> and I was for um, intimacy, and Israel, and I have no recollection of L at this moment. Oh, Zion? That's a good guess, Isaac. That's a good guess. Launch. Love and launch. Very good. So we didn't really have a sharing time last week. We are hoping to have a sharing time at some point, not specifically about, you know, what God might have spoken to you in the fast, but just in general. And so maybe you could incorporate some of those things when we do that sharing time. It'll either be next week or the following week. We may have some special guests speaking next week, but it's not for sure, right? Some of the circuit writers group who's coming out. Um, but I wanted to mention it because the Penners would really appreciate it if anybody sensed anything in particular for their family during the fast, and they'd love it if you could text them and tell them because they were one of the families who were specifically praying for God's direction in their life, for God's healing, for Samuel, for the family, um, and for vision for the future for them. Um, they're just, they're, they've been in a really trying time and, we're their church family. We just want to surround them. And if God has said something to you, or if he even, if you think that he may have, you can offer it up as, I think he may have. <laughs> you test this. <laughs> okay, they would appreciate anything. Um, crumbs from under the table are definitely appreciated. Um, okay, so that was, that's my fast um, announcement. Child care today for the little ones. 
Uh, Noel, are Noel and Adani still doing? Are you guys still doing it? Did you switch? Okay. Noel and Adani are doing that. Um, for those of you who are not and want to be involved in home church, the Tuesday night home church is still happening. And then Thursday night we switched. Um, the ladies are every other Thursday, and then the men are the Thursdays in between. Is what we're doing right now. So if you'd like to get on that train, please do. They would love it. We would love it. Um, if you want to stay connected, you can follow Instagram, Facebook. If you want to stay super connected, you can join the text thread, and you will be very connected, more connected than you ever wanted to be. <laughs> you will be 15 notifications an hour connected. <laughs> it's not always like that, but sometimes. <laughs> um, I think that's it. Does anybody else have any announcements that they'd like to make? Yes, Joseph. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. That's good. I should remind y'all every week. The retreat is coming up April 12th to 14th. You all are invited, and anyone you may know is also invited. <laughs> People you don't know are also <laughs> invited. It really is long, as long as we have the space, they're welcome. So until we fill up the area, um, for those of you who haven't been, it's in Salt Lake. It, I don't remember how many it houses, but it's got a good amount of space. It's only an hour and a half from here, April 12th to 14th. Um, we will cook together. We will worship together. Oh, and can I announce who's going to be speaking? Okay. John and Andrea Kohlberg will be speaking this year at the retreat. A lot of you have met them. Some of you haven't. If you haven't, it will, it will be really special for you to get the chance to meet them. So um, they're bringing their kids with them as well. So that's really, really exciting. So we'll have worship time, we'll have teaching time, we'll have eating time, and there's a ton of outdoor games and hiking and all the things. So that'll be really good. Anything else? Do I need to, did everybody hear that? Okay. Joseph was good and loud. That was good. Oh, and continue prayer for Julian, those of you who have been praying for Julian. Um, the updates have, have not been what we would have hoped. So he's still really doing poorly. Um, so as far as we can tell, as far as we can see. So let's keep praying for them and for his kids and his wife and all the family that came out so far. <laughs> it's very exciting. Are you going to load, like, a, a truck up, or are you going to have lots of people with lots of cars loading lots of cars up? Moving for a week and a half, starting the 9th. This is our February church retreat. <laughs> a whole week of moving the Colbertsons. <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. Yes, Nicholas. Yes. The circuit riders group are coming next week. I wish I had more details. I don't know if John Edward does. Okay. As far as we know, they're coming from the 7th to 11th. There are 11 of them. Is that right? Or more? 14 of them. Out of California. They're all young people, right? Like college age? Um, my guess is they would appreciate some fellowship time with different people. I think that they would like to serve in some way, which means they may do Saturday night, night service. The, the men, the guys, I don't know what to call them, the, the young men are staying at our house in the basement, and then the ladies are spread out through different families and church, right? I have not met them yet. All right, 
Anything else? Woo! We had a lot of announcements tonight. <laughs> wow! We were a chatty group tonight. Sorry, Ben. Can you give my phone back there from Uncle Tim? Bring it to me, please. Um, what did I want to say? Oh, again about uh, the pinners. I spoke with Trenton this week. We had a great talk. Um, just love him, love the family. And, you know, they... <laughs> He was kind of laughing. He's like, I don't know if uh, we want you guys to specifically fast for us again because <laughs> right during the fast, it was really tough. And he said almost to the hour or definitely to the day, at the 24-day ending, things just flipped for them, um, particularly with Sam in a good way. Uh, so at the end. Um, so... Please, as Kara said, I think that was a good analogy. Even if you think what you have is a, a crumb or maybe insignificant, please reach out. And you know what? You could just also text a prayer or send an audio. Um, oh, awesome. Something tangible uh, that you can hold is always special, especially in our digital age. Um, yeah, Dylan, actually, since you're coming back in here, uh, can you come up to the front? <laughs> Dylan is a senior at West High. You're a junior? Bro, you seem so mature for a junior. Um, I've met Dylan several weeks ago. He has been coming to uh, our Colt Academy time. Uh, I teach a, a little 20-minute segment on Fridays, and the school calls it uh, Colt Academy, and my little um, class is called Passion and Purpose. And God's really been moving there. Um, and couple months, uh, several weeks ago, we had to move to the auditorium. Uh, most of the classes are, you know, 25 people, but we had over 120 uh, yesterday. And um, I have seen Dylan taking leadership in the midst, even though he might not even realize he's doing it. Um, and I saw God use him someone who had an image come to mind, or, or you could call it a vision. And I was asking the kids to share, what are you seeing, what are you hearing? And one of the sophomores shared, he's uh, uh, one of the starters on the basketball team. And he shared, he's like, this is what I saw. And then I said, well, who has the interpretation for that? What's the meaning? And, uh, and then Dylan spoke up, and I just encouraged him a moment ago, I was like, man, you're hearing from God. God showed that to you. And that, and, and, you know, there were probably 40 people who had stayed after. It's two weeks in a row I've felt led to do a, a call, a response, or an altar call. And I had never done that before there. Um, but about 40 of the kids stayed after yesterday. And so Caden, the young man, shared that. And then Dylan was able to say, I think this is the meaning behind it. And uh, there were other things, too. I want you, I guess, two things, okay? Share 
your perspective of what's been going on with our group. And it could be just yesterday, just whatever you're, I mean, they basically know nothing about this. So I want them to hear from your perspective uh, what's, what you have seen. Okay, we just want your perspective. And then also um, anything you want to share about what, what God has been doing in your life. Is that cool? Do you mean here or at school? At the school, yeah. Our, our time at the school. I mean, it's, he's just been, it's been growing so much. I, got, I mean, I only started going there, what, six weeks ago? Something, something like that. And, and um, I mean, it's just been growing so much that you can tell there's a lot of genuine people who go there, you know. There might be some people who just go there to get out of a class or something, you know, but there's so it's it's great. Like especially he's been like after after the Colts Academy, whenever people talk, whenever people talk up, they see. I think they see they see stuff. They see things that link. One person says something, and then another connects it, and then another, and it keeps. It just goes on for like half an hour. <laughs> And it's, I don't know, it's just, I think it's really helped me with my relationship with God. I think it's helped me stay, uh, build a foundation for my belief, for my faith. And I think that's... So, um, like... uh, we blessed our brother, Tomaskin. I'd like to uh, just again bless Dylan and to bless him personally, but also as a representative of the high school and a representative of those students who are being impacted by God. Um, and Bob, actually, would you come up here and just pray specifically for Dylan? Is it all right if Bob more prays for you? He was my fifth grade math teacher. So. <laughs> Like, I'm a teacher in your life. He's a teacher in my life. (laughs) Bob, Dylan, Dylan, Bob. Um, So as Bob prays, would you guys just join in your hearts um, with what he prays for Dylan? Dylan, we just thank you so much for Dylan and his life, and we ask right now that you bless him greatly. Bless his studies. Bless his um, relationships. Bless his future. And especially bless his present. And uh, we just lift him up to you and ask that you um, give him more um, vision from you and the ability to speak it. In your precious name, amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Dylan. All right, kids. Come on up. Dude, Solon, your enthusiasm and your response, bro, that means a lot. Thank you for hopping up here so quickly. You were the first by a long shot. And you little lion, you get the award for most improved walking. Mm-hmm. 
although I think you're a tie with Leif Jacob. Two little men. Well, speaking of two little men, did you know that there were once two men on a road and the name of the road was Emmaus? Yeah, that's pretty funny, isn't it? The road was Emmaus. And this was a very interesting time when they were walking on the road. In fact, it was one of the biggest events in human history. Let me rewind. It was probably the second biggest event ever on the earth, and it had just happened. These two guys were walking the road of Emmaus. They were talking and making sounds to each other, communicating, communication, and all of a sudden, another man comes up. He's like, what's up, guys? Hey, what's up, man? Hey. Why are you guys so, like, sad? I mean, you look like you just lost your puppy. Man, it's worse than that, bro. Don't you even know what happened? Um, why don't you tell me? Man, I, you tell him, bro. Dude, it's like the worst thing ever. Uh, what is the worst thing ever? Man, there's this guy, man. He was, he was more than a guy. His name was Yeshua. You know, in the future, they'll call him Jesus. But, man, he, we were thinking he was going to be the one to save us. And, like, you know, because we've been going through some stuff, our people. And, man, dude, you won't believe what happened. Bro, you tell him now. I can't even tell Man, so, yeah, we were thinking he was going to be, like, our hero and stuff. But then, man, I don't even want to say it. Uh, can you guys just tell me what you're talking about here? All right, fine. Our hero got killed, man. The, the dude, we, they killed him, man. Really? How did, how did he die? Man, they, they put nails in his hands and his feet. And, dude, he died on, on a cross, you know, like that Roman crucifixion thing, man. That's what they did to our hero. That sounds terrible, guys. I'm sorry things will never get better. Yeah, man, things are never going to get better. Actually, guys, let me talk to you about some stuff. That had to happen that that man died. And then this new visitor told the two dudes walking all about the Son of God and what the Bible had said about how the Son of God had to die and that the Son of God was not going to stay in death. Yeah, I love it. Isaac goes, oh, I know the story. Because the guy, the third guy who was telling them all about the Son of God, he said, David wrote that you won't let your anointed, your servant, your Messiah, you won't let him stay in the grave. And they were like, oh, that's cool, man, but, you know, our hero is still dead. Then all of a sudden the man disappeared. Actually, not yet. Sorry. That's, that was unbiblical, what I just said. 
We must be biblical. I'm serious. Yeah, you agree, Solomon. Solomon goes, mm-hmm. okay. So they were like, man, this guy is really helping our hearts right now. Our hearts were like upside down smiley faces, which means frowny faces. But now they're starting to turn around and upside down frown. You know what an upside down frown is? It's what you're doing right now. It's a smile. Good job. Their hearts were starting. In fact, you know what they said? Man, there's, my heart is burning when this guy talks. So they said, please stay a little bit longer. Please like, talk to our hearts a little bit more. Make them happy. So he did. And he stayed with some of their friends too. And this visitor, this third man, broke the bread, thanked God, and all of a sudden everybody was like, ah! Ah! and they probably did that for like five minutes. Because ah! why, Zion? Because it was Jesus. They're like, ah, you're the dead guy! You're the dead hero! He's like, well, I'm not dead anymore. You're a ghost! And then he said, look, guys, give me something to eat. Hand me that bread and fish. I don't want to touch a ghost. You do it. That stranger, who was not a stranger, took the bread and fish and he ate it. Ghosts can't eat. And they were like, it's true. It's real. He was dead, but now he's alive. I don't know how that works, but I'm sure glad. I'm sure glad it works. And then the stranger who wasn't a stranger disappeared. And they all looked at each other, and they're like, and everybody else in the house probably, this is not directly in the Bible, but everybody else in in the house looked at those two guys, and they're like, you two. You walked with him the whole road of Emmaus. Why didn't you tell us who he was? They're like, we didn't know. Like, what? See, they couldn't. After a while, finally, they could explain themselves. We didn't recognize it. All we knew is our hearts were on fire whenever he was talking, and it felt really good. That's why we, hey, when it, don't get so mad at us. If, if it wasn't for us begging him, he wouldn't have stayed here, and you guys wouldn't have gotten to see him. They were like, okay, you got a point. And the story goes on and on. But this is what I want to tell you. Did you know that you all have your own Emmaus roads? Cohen has a road of Emmaus. And sometimes he may be sad. He might have an upside-down smile in his heart. He may be disappointed thinking that, man, where is God? Or why did this happen? Or I feel like I've been let down. I want to tell you, just like those two guys on the road, Jesus is showing up in your lives when you don't realize it. So... My message to you is, open up your eyes 
Pay attention to when your heart feels warm and happy. Pay attention because you might just be walking. That's right. Hattie's giving me a big smile. You may be walking right beside Jesus. And as a matter of fact, I hope you're enjoying that. As a matter of fact, everywhere we go is an Emmaus road. We can't get away from Jesus. You look like you have a question. <laughs> Laughter works. Let me pray for you guys. Father, thank you for these kids. Thank you, Lord, that you walk with them and you talk with them. I pray that you would open the eyes of their hearts to perceive you. I pray that you would give them grace to receive you. I pray that they would feel the burn in their hearts. And I pray, God, that they would have the joy of seeing you and recognizing the good news is better than we can ever imagine. And that you are the God who raises the dead things to life. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, we're going to break it down. Absolutely. I love it. He said we're going to break it down on smiley face heart. Bro, I mean, I cannot break it down on anything else but that now. I was going to say Emmaus. Yeah, Isaac's like, Emmaus. Perfect. It's the best of both worlds. Emmaus, smiley face heart. Now, look, when we say smiley face heart, don't mix up the H and the F. Smiley face heart. Smiley face heart. Don't, all right, we don't need that. that. Sorry, smiley face heart, okay? Emmaus, smiley face heart. I'm actually doing that so I don't mess it up, okay? All right, put your fists in here, please. You are free to make the volume as loud as you want. Emmaus, smiley face, heart, on, yes, on three. One, two, three. Emmaus, smiley face, heart! Yeah! Awesome, guys. All right, kids, you may go back with Adani and Noel. Hattie's up here for the encore. All right, so tonight, um, I'm excited. We have my kid brother, Mikey, um, and we are doing part three of David. So how this works, Michael has come up with some thoughts and questions regarding David, and I don't know what they are, but he throws them out there. I respond as I feel led by God's spirit. He responds to my responses, and we trust that God blesses you guys in the process. Um, as Michael comes, a reminder that, um, you know, David, it says in Isaiah, God says, I gave David as an example for the earth. And there's no one else who God himself is named after. 
He says, I'm the son of David. Jesus said, I'm the son of David. So there's something uniquely uh, honorable about David, and I think there's a unique blessing in examining his life because you examine an example. And God gave him as an example, so we examine um, him. But I also want to say this ministry was birthed in 2014, which we are weeks away from 10 years of the call for this thing to exist. How old were you, Natalie, 10 years ago? 13. Our star school teacher, Natalie, with her friend Abigail here tonight. Abigail, is this your first time here on, the, uh, uh, on an evening? Well, welcome. We met you at the downtown because you helped us serve, uh, but we are glad you're here tonight, too. Um, so, back when Natalie was a 13-year-old student, um, not a teacher, this ministry is being started, and the, before the name Dwelling came, because Dwelling came as a combination of Uncle Tim and Karis in 2015, God used the language, I want to raise up a ministry in the order of the Tabernacle of David. And we have been figuring that out the last 10 years, step by step, you know. We weren't going to tell God what the tabernacle of David was. We've been learning what that means for us as, um, as the Bible confirms. Okay, so we, when we're talking about David, not only is he an example for the earth and for the body of Christ, but he is a particular example for the DNA of dwelling ministries. All right, Mikey. All right, so we'll break it down basically with three different topics. Um, and we'll start out with, you know, when you think of David, typically your first thought is David and Goliath, right? Then it may be David and Bathsheba, um, amongst other things. But there's a, for the most part, when you think of David, his, his heroism is what you immediately think about. And it's, it's, it's odd because you see this paradox sometimes with David. You see this heroism from the onset, but you also see David as a human being and experiencing fear. And so what I want to do, Travis, is, is kind of open this up, and I'm going to give you just an example from Scripture, a few examples for you to break down. But just to understand, like, David was a man just like us without the actual Holy Spirit being poured out yet. And you saw him with acts of valor, but you also saw him with some real, raw fear and discouragement. And I think that, and hopefully, you know, my hope is this will encourage you guys just to continue to engage with God and to understand that, like, you're a human and God's God. And at the end of the day, that's what David, I think, embodied. So let me just ask you really quickly, Travis. Um, so we see David was anointed. He slew Goliath. They said David kills, uh, or Saul kills his thousands. David kills his tens of thousands. Saul began to get jealous. We know the story. Saul tried to pin David to the wall with his spear. David was running for his life, and David had been told by Samuel and promised that he was anointed to be king, and yet we saw David flee 
And I think, you know, he did so in, in, a, in a shrewd, judicious way. But also, you saw David really being challenged in believing that he was still going to make it. And so he, you saw this tangible posture of fear as he was running. So, Travis, would you break it down a little bit and, and kind of talk about how David was, was trying to reconcile this belief and faith in the anointing that God had poured out on his life, but at the same time looking at this practical situation of one of the strongest military threats at that time pursuing him to kill him and how he still was able to maintain a faith despite the fear he was experiencing. I think that was a great setup, and I'm going to go back to David, as Isaiah has said, being an example for us. Everyone here can relate to a couple clear aspects of David's life that just came to my mind. Number one, you have engaged with God to some degree. You have believed in him. You have been touched by him. And you have experienced challenge discouragement and fear. So you have this experience of belief and engagement with God, and you have raw challenges you have endured that sometimes seem to conflict with one another. And I think about David in that situation. As Michael said, he's probably freaking out a little bit. I mean, he got super emotional with Jonathan, not just because he loved Jonathan. When they said goodbye, when David's like, I got to check out, like, your dad's going to kill me, and Jonathan's like, all right, I just confirmed that he is going to kill you. You better go. And they hugged. They said, I love you, bro. I'm going to miss you. They made a promise to one another, and then it says they wept, but David wept more. David was so emotional about the whole experience. He's like, man, I, God spoke to me that I'm going to be his leader here in Israel, and now the leader who was like the first one to hire me, and I was like doing nothing but helping him out, he's trying to kill me. What is going on? I'm losing my best friend. I'm having to leave the place, the home that I know, my wife. He's freaking out a little bit. Like we freak out when we get emotional. He's confused like we're confused when we don't understand what's going on with our lives and we don't understand where God's out, where God's at. We're, he's discouraged like we get discouraged. But, as Michael said, he says, yet I will put my hope in him. I hope in you all the day long. No one who hopes in you, Yahweh, will ever be put to shame. You are my rock. You're my strength. You're my fortress. You're my deliverer. You've become my salvation. It's like, David, I mean, slow down. Who is he to you? I thought, he's like, he's everything, man. I'm just trying to get that across. He was at a point later where people were wanting to kill him. His own men were wanting to kill him. 
And it says, David strengthened himself in Yahweh his God, or he encouraged himself. David drew from God. But the last little snippet I wanted to share connected to that, this has always been kind of strange to me. During that time when David was on the run from Saul, he went to one of the uh, leaders of the enemies of Israel, Abimelech. And when he met Abimelech, David still was in his freaking out mode, but he was trying to think of the, the best thing he could do to keep on living. And I think this is that humanity that Michael spoke about on display. And this is like what we can all relate to when we're putting our trust in God and you guys who are here, you are, as I've said before, the all-stars, which is the opposite of worldly all-stars based on performance. It's all-stars in God's eyes. Your hearts are for God, like David had an all-star heart. David thought that Abimelech was going to kill him because Abimelech was an enemy of Israel and David was known as an Israel leader. And so David, it says he acted like he was insane. Like that was his strategy. He let the spittle come down his beard. I mean, think that's what, that's what like the the mighty king, the anointed of the Lord, the one who Jesus was nicknamed after, he was reduced to... I'm not going to spit down my somewhat of a beard. But he was spitting and drooling on himself. And Abimelech was like, it actually worked. Abimelech was like, am I Short on insane people in my kingdom? Get that one and another one. Get this insane son of Jesse out of here. You know what I'm saying, Grace? I mean, nobody wants that kind of, it's like he might be dangerous and violent. Get him out of here. It, well, it's, he's called two different things. Abimelech or Akish. They're, he's called two different things. They think, well, Abimelech might have been more of a, a proper title um, as well as a name. But you can see Psalm 34. Psalm 34, one of the most amazing, anointed writings of all time. I mean, Psalm 34, you, there, it's verse Every single word is life-changing truth. David wrote that right after that. It said, it said you can read Psalm 34. What David wrote after he drooled like a madman and pretended to be insane. It's like, no, God, God, that sounds insane of you to like look at that and be like, oh, that's my boy. I mean, we would think that God's be like, how dare you? First of all, you're scaredy cat. Don't think I'll deliver you. And you look pitiful. I mean, come on, you're the leader of the people of God, and you're drooling and acting insane, and, and you act, you're lying pretty much. And God's like, oh, human, human, human. I love this guy, and I'm about to empower him to write some of the most life-changing words 
a human will ever write directly connected to that situation. So, in our insanity, in our drooling down our beards, or you ladies down your smooth, beautiful cheeks, in our mess, in our fear, in our crazy tactics, in our lack of trust in God, in our own manipulation of circumstances, God looks on us with mercy and still uses us to change the world. What's interesting about that, I literally had this in my notes to ask him about Abimelech Akshish. Yes, so he's already, we'll, we'll do one more thing with this section. What I thought was really good is, is David, you see all these feats, right? So even before Akshish, before he did some of these things, even with his family, how he didn't discipline like he should have, um, we won't get into that. That was something I, I was thinking about talking about. But what I want to do, Travis, is mention something, then just have you kind of quickly break this down before we get onto our last two sections. So you saw David do all these amazing feats, these, these things that were insurmountable for a human being to accomplish, but David did that because he just believed God's, he trusted God's anointing, he, he understood his position before God. But then you compare that with these kind of inexplicable acts, like if, if David experienced this, if he had these heroic military victories. He slew Goliath, who was the most intimidating being probably any of them had ever seen. All of this stuff had happened. So I want you to kind of like think about this in terms of you all as well and think about this belief that you have good days and you have bad days. And so the bad days really get you down because you're like, I thought I'd figure this out with God. I thought I had done enough I had walked enough with God that I wouldn't have these types of days where I think these types of thoughts, where I have these types of feelings, when I'm falling so, so short in honoring God. And I think, so Travis, could you touch on that, how, how David kind of painted a really good picture of someone who did heroic acts, who, who operated in the power of God, but yet had instances where he just fell dramatically, and how that, I think, is really emblematic just of our human experience. And... Uh, but ultimately, as you said in the Psalms, almost every Psalm you see David choosing to declare the truth about himself and about who God was. I think of the time, um, and I can't recall which specific Psalm this is, but David says, I've become the object of mocking. People are telling jokes about how pitiful I am. And so here you have this guy who has done these feats that Michael talked about, and this guy who has some of the most amazing promises a human has ever received, and that very guy, after these things, is being made fun of and mocked, laughed at for how pitiful his life is. So we might not be able to relate to the exact extremes of that, but I think David was given as an example of extremes so we could find ourselves somewhere in that spectrum. We could find ourselves in, man, God has spoken some awesome things to my heart. Man, God's done some awesome things in my life and through my life. And then, man, I feel like totally disrespected or I feel like ignored or insignificant. 
I feel laughed at in my own eyes by other people, overlooked. And I think of another verse in Isaiah, and I think it's in that same chapter, I believe, Isaiah 55, where God says, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Again, about David being an example. It's like, David, you're going to have some bad days and bad moments with your performance, with your acts, with your thoughts, with your fears, with your lack of trust. But I'm going to show you mercy. And it's not just about me showing you mercy, David, although it's very personal. I want my people, the humans who love me with a heart like David, I want them to see this is how I view you. I view you with eyes of mercy. I view you with great patience. 1,000 years after David died, this is what he spoke through the mouth of one of his servants. You can find it in the book of Acts. It says that David fulfilled his purpose on earth. And after that, he went to sleep. So all David's mess-ups, God's epitaph, a thousand years after God was still speaking and said, David fulfilled his destiny. And that gives us great hope. And then he closes up the last book of the Bible. He's still talking about David. Jesus himself. I'm the root and offspring of David. I I have the keys of David. It's like, dude, come on. You're still talking about David? The drool dude? The, like, adultering murderer? And God's like, oh, yeah, don't you dare throw stones at him because you're only bloodying yourself because you're just as bad. Um, the, the next kind of topic, to me personally, I think this, when I think of David, I think this illustrates him. And then in conjunction with that, I feel like this type of posture that David had with God is, is perhaps one of the, the, the things that stirred God's heart enough to see, like, this guy's a man after my own heart. You know, David, the, the most popular psalm, or one of the most popular psalms is Psalm 23. And, uh, but David says, you know, you are my shep- shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not be in want. And, Travis, one of the things I, I want to discuss is just, we see David as this guy who came to the end of himself whether he was ruined, Isaiah talks about being ruined when he saw God lifted up and he got a vision of God. David, to me, became just a fixture and someone who, in his life, trusted explicitly in the, sh- in the shepherding of God. To the point of sometimes you're like, why did this guy not do more 
in the situation that he could have done. And I'll give this as an example. So, so David's on the run, right? Two separate times, David could have killed Saul and became king. He had that opportunity where he saw Saul on two separate occasions and spared him. And his men were like, what are you doing? Why don't you kill him and become king and fulfill the prophetic words Samuel spoke over you? And yet he showed mercy and he said, this is God's anointed. So Travis, can you talk about that posture and why David chose to spare Saul? And what was he thinking? Why did he say, no, I will not touch God's anointed? What was the, the, the influence driving David's decision in that, and, and, and why do you think he had that type of just explicit trust in God's shepherding? Yes, yeah, um, a great question. What I thought about as you were talking there is David's primary focus was God. God, God, he, he probably, David probably had one of the busiest, craziest life schedules of any person. He led, he was the king of millions of people for decades, and before he was that, he was an army captain going on crusades everywhere, and then running from the king who wanted to kill him with all these I mean, he always had something going on. But through it all, God, God, God. And I think we see that in Psalm 27, 4. He says, this one thing I seek, one thing I desire, to dwell in the house of God. To look at him in his beauty to be like captivated by his personhood by his being and to just inquire of him ask him questions so David just chose God he said God 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 even when he had his moments where he was like oh man I didn't that 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 wasn't so much a God 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 move his heart stayed in that place. In fact, he even said, by the Holy Spirit, in a couple different psalms, he said, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. And you know if David was just trying to boost his reputation there, that God wouldn't allow it to be in the Scriptures, repeated in the Scriptures. God says, look, it's a steadfast heart. And the other thing I wanted to, like, I guess, unpack regarding his God, God, God is his. He didn't just talk about, oh, it's important, God, God's important, God's important, or, oh, I'm looking to God, guys. He looked with an open mouth in awe of God. He rightly revered him. He learned the fear of God. He had unprecedented respect for who God was. 
he was like, dude, if you said touch not my anointed, ain't no way I'm going to touch your anointed. Because the one who said that, you sit on the throne. Man. I mean, David had heavenly vision. He wrote Psalm 110. Yahweh said to my Lord. David had a vision, had an experience of seeing the Father talk to Jesus. Jesus later quoted this. So David was seeing things. They were like, come on, David. I mean, come on. You know that prophetic word Samuel spoke over you. You're going to be a king, and there's the king, and the king's trying to kill you. Kill the king. We're good. And David's like, man, you are not seeing what I'm seeing. I'm seeing the Father, God, talking to the Son, Jesus, the king. And, and whether he saw fully the relationship, he was undone by his vision of God. And that impacted his decisions. He saw how significant God was, and then he saw how insignificant he was. And that was really healthy. And uh, it, it caused him to live a very uncommon life. And, and that just reminds me of, like, what other posture do we have other than what the Apostle John says, apart from him, I can do nothing. I think that was just... The foundation David laid that life, I think, when John said that, that's true. Like, apart from, from God, David could do nothing. So David's life was, was a testament of, as Travis said, looking to him and, and saying, look what God did um, through a dude who was irrelevant, possibly born out of wedlock, was a, was a shepherd, came from nobody. That's emblematic of who we are and our posture David said, and this is this kind of, we've talked about this before, this is a crazy quote from David. When, when Saul was pursuing him, he would say, who are you after? I'm not just a dead dog, I'm a flea on a dead dog. And that wasn't him being self-deprecating, it was just hit the reality, and he understood, this is who I am apart from God, I'm, I'm nobody. And it wasn't like this, again, this false humility. This was a, rec, a, a rec, he recognized his place in life apart from God. And one of the things I want to ask too, Travis, in light of that, and then we'll go on to the next section. Uh, this is kind of a history. I, I love just the history of David too, and his siblings, and you know who his the children were of his siblings. His his military commander Joab. It's interesting. You wouldn't think this, but it was actually his nephew, and um, he had a brother named Abishai, who was also one of his his mighty men. Actually, did a lot of mighty feats and. And I oftentimes, when I think of David, I think of Joab and Abishai, it, it, it always kind of flummoxes me a little bit because I'm like, why is this tension? Like, I look at some of these guys, I'm like, they did some pretty shrewd things, I think, help, that helped David out, yet at the same time, they did some things that were, like, inexplicable. Why would they do this? Um, so at one point, you know, there are actually several points where David is engaging with his military commander, Joab, and Abishai, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Joseph, am I saying that right? No. Yeah. How, how, how do you say it? Tommy, how do you say it? <laughs> Abishai. Um, Abishishi. Okay. Okay, gotcha. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you. Um, but you see this, this point where they're, they're wanting to do something. They're wanting to take action in certain points in Scripture. 
And then David says, oh, what to do with you, sons of Zariah, which was his sister, uh, their mother. So you may think, like, that's not that big of a deal, like just that quote that David says right there. But to me, I think that that is actually the heartbeat of who David was. Oh, you sons of Zariah, what have I to do with you? So, Travis, break that down a little bit. What David was meaning when he said that, what was his heart posture when he said that to them in response to them wanting to take action and basically take, take people out? Um, I love that. I'm curious. I wonder what uh, the name Zariah or Zerua, Zeru, Zeruiah, however you say it, I wonder what that means. <laughs> um, <laughs> A couple things come to my mind, and those quotes from David directly uh, to Joab and um, Joab's sibling um, have stood out to me, and I would even say haunted me in a good way. So when he says, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah or Zeruah? Um, that makes me think of first, what have I to do with someone who's born from the earth, who thinks on an earthly level? Like James says, there's earthly wisdom. It's sensual. It's, it goes by our senses. And uh, it's demonic. And so there was military wisdom that these guys operated in. Smart strategies for army commanders. But a lot of times, this was not heavenly vision or strategy from above. This was earthly demonic wisdom. And what has Christ to do with Bilal? Or Belial, what, what do I want? The wisdom of Peter and the flesh said, Jesus, you'll never die. And he was like, get behind me, Satan. I don't roll like that. David basically said the same thing. He's like, dude, sons of the earth. I'm not a son of the earth. Even before God shows us and blows Nicodemus' mind, the teacher of Israel, even before he says you have to be born from above, I'm already getting it. Uh, yeah, there's a, a birth from above that is totally different from being birthed below. And the second part, I don't think you mentioned what it, he, he says this a time or two right after that. He says, you guys are too strong for me. And that's the part that has really hooked my heart. And as God has driven at least the meaning that I see in that phrase into my life, I'm like, God, I can't participate in that strong Christian activity. I can't, like, go forward in that Christian force. 
And I believe there's a secret, again, David being an example, to God calling us out of the force and the strength. Our militancy for Christ. We don't need militancy for Christ. We need the militancy of Christ. And David was the strongest, the mightiest warrior. So it wouldn't make sense if he's like, you guys are too strong for me. I'm pretty weak over here. I mean, come on, Goliath. And plus he did some other bad things too. And he was the leader of the bad boys. So when he says, you guys are too strong for me, he wasn't saying you're too tough or you can kill more enemies than I can. You're better on the battlefield. He said, you are too strong in the flesh. I remember my, my granddad used to talk about the Amalekites. The Amalekites represent the energy of the flesh. The energy of the flesh. And God said, I will be continually at war with Amalek. That means God is continually at war with the energy of the flesh. And sometimes the main thing that we offer up as a, as a worship to God in the Christian house is the energy of our flesh. And God's like, you're trying to worship me with what I'm at war with. You're trying to worship me with your brain power and your, like, your dedication to me? Your fasts? Your prayer times that you've logged? Come on, man. It's about my bloody son. This is about you being weak. David was like, um, sons of Zerai, uh, you guys are out here posing like uh, Arnold and like Mr. Olympia. You're acting like Atlas. And you don't understand. The secret of being a human is understanding that you are a flea. So if there's anybody in the house tonight who thinks you're more than a flea, and hear me rightly, stay with me because I'll comfort you a little bit with what I'm, I'll comfort you with what I'm saying. But if we don't understand that we are a flea at best, in fact, Paul in the New Testament takes it even further. He says, be careful if you think you're something when you're actually nothing. And then Paul, who was arguably one of the greatest humans ever to walk on the earth. He said, I'm less than nothing. How can you be less than nothing? So, the understanding that we are a flea, that we're less than nothing. Now, we pair that with God's heart who says, you're my child. You have infinite value to my heart. You're beautiful. And in me, you're more than a conqueror. Like, you're a mighty warrior. So don't, like, get saying, oh, Travis is saying and that David said that we're nothing but fleas and that God sees us as fleas and we're nothing but fleas. And no, don't let that lie come in there. But don't let go of the irreplaceable revelation that God wants to put in your heart. Literally, I'm nothing but a flea at best. I'm, I'm nothing. And that is the secret to being a person who God honors forever. 
a mighty warrior, a mighty fulfill your destiny person. The irreplaceable truth and belief in walking out of, I ain't nothing but a flea. I don't think the sons of Zeruah ever really bought into that. And it caused some problems for them and for the people of God. So, come on, let's, let's be a house of fleas. And it seemed like, you know, from that place, the reality that David had of being that flea enabled him and God saw, look, look, I'm able to give this guy more because his heart acknowledges his, its, its actual state. And I think, you know, as you were talking, I'm like, well, not that there's a prerequisite, but it seemed like David's heart posture of understanding, this is who I am. God saw that and was like, and, and sometimes it's like, what moved God's heart to choose David? You know, why David out of the millions of people on earth, did he choose this guy to, you know, honor maybe more than any other human being in the Bible? What was it about him that God saw? And we just know that like, God doesn't look at the outward image, but he looks at the heart. And there's something in David's heart, and it seems to me, what we just talked about and what you mentioned, that that heart posture of this is who I am apart from God, but that heart posture enabled him to then be the person that he was. And I think that, and just to encourage you all, and I think of this, this, this to me, and we've talked about this before, one of the most, like, kind of causes my mind to like wonder what would it have been like to see David bring the ark into Jerusalem. And he was just like, if we, were, if we were to sit here and say we wouldn't be offended by that, you know, I'd be surprised if a lot of us weren't offended by someone like that bringing an object into the capital and acting, as Travis said, like a madman. Whirling, Whirling naked, right? Almost naked. You know, he, he, he wasn't clothed very right? Well, he by had, much. He did have the ephod on, which was not naked in the sense that we would think. But as far as a king and the garments, just like, dude, what are you? You got your T-shirt on. You're supposed to have like the. Yes. Yeah. So it was definitely. So like, <laughs> you ain't got your king clothes on. Impermissible, right? And and just to take that posture and to understand, like, there are going to be moments in life, and you've probably many of you experienced this, where you're going to be a question mark. Travis has mentioned the, the question mark before with us, where they're going to question, what is, who is this person? And I think David was a shadow and, and really was a forerunner in many ways to Jesus because that was the exact thing people had with Jesus was, who is this person? We don't, we can't see this person because he's doing things in his life that are completely contrary to my perceived paradigm of who the Messiah would be. And so I think David, in many ways, that was like, David walked that out. He was like, I don't know how to be anything other than who I see God as. And that's exactly what Jesus did. I just do what the Father does. And I think in many ways, David had that heart posture. That was his heart's cry. I can just do what I see God doing. And so it led to some question marks. Um, anyway, I just wanted to mention that in light of what you said. But last last topic and so this is this this last topic is God David's avenger and this kind of coincides with God David's shepherd and I'll just mention a few things really quickly 
So we saw David didn't try to enact vengeance on Saul, and, and Travis hashed that out, so we'll, we'll kind of move past that. But I, I'm going to mention two, two examples, and I want you just to quickly break those down. One example, and this to me, I, I just, when I read this in Scripture, I'm like, how did David control himself and not just take this dude out? Um, I think it was Shammai. And David was fleeing from Absalom. So David just has this, okay, I'm fleeing again, right? Fleed from Saul, and now he's fleeing from his son who's, who's just usurped the kingdom. So he's fleeing, and as he's walking, this dude named Shammai, I believe it's Shammai, begins cursing David. He was in the household of Benjamin, so he had some, some allegiance to Saul still. So he's cursing David, being spitting and throwing stones at David. And I think at this point, this is when Abishai wants to take him out. It's like, who is this dude who's cursing you? David, again, one of the most powerful men in the world at that time, has this nobody cursing him, spitting on him, throwing stones. And David's response is, but what if this is God's will? What if God is actually moving him to do this? And so he stays his hand, stays Abishai's hand, and it's like, why? David was willing to take out people for much less than that. So my question is, in the light of the context of what was happening, Travis, him fleeing from Absalom, walking, having this dude spit, throw stones, and he controlled himself and was able just to trust God that if God wanted to enact vengeance, he would. What was going on there? Well, back to the flea. The flea had to flee his own son, and in those days, it was a terrible, like, unforgivable thing to be dishonored by your son. So his son had done the most dishonoring thing in the most public way and was seeking to kill his dad. So David is there, and he's already been king for decades at this point. And it's basically, this is what we think of you. We want you gone. You're rejected. And... Then this guy, this little runt, punk, is mouthing off and is basically kind of like a mouthpiece for all those who have been turned against, who have turned against David. You're pathetic. This is what you deserve. Now you're getting it. This is who you really are in God's sight. God's judging you. Puh. Curse you, Puh. son of Jesse. Throwing rocks at him. And David, like, if anybody had an excuse to be in a bad mood or to be a little bit emotional, <laughs> that's probably one of the greatest examples in history of you being irrational in your emotional response. But he does the polar opposite, he defies anything reasonable and he says nah man I'm just a flea maybe this is God wanting to just put his thumb on me I make myself of no reputation and Jesus is up there in heaven like dad I'm going to show the same heart when I come to earth I'm going to make myself of no reputation I'm going to become nothing. It's Philippians 2. Jesus, God in the flesh, made himself nothing. David was a forerunner of that heart. David had the courage 
to, to flee and be a flea. And lest I not mention this in the next minute, what came to my mind is, well, what was the fruit of him acknowledging that he was a flea? Did that get him into a self-deprecating, self-destructive mode that impacted or that negatively influenced his impact or his influence? Did, did he just kind of crumple from within and fade out? Look at this. The flea became arguably one of the most famous and influential humans ever to exist. He's the most famous, the most prolific poet, musician, songwriter, and king of all time. Solomon might be close to him with the famous king thing. The fruit of his life, he impacts the world every single day for thousands of years. That's what a flea does. Don't flee from being a flea. Your flesh, our flesh, fights taking on the flea thing. We want to prove that we're smart enough, prove that we're strong enough, prove that we're worthy enough. A flea is totally stupid. A flea is totally weak. And a flea is totally sick and gross. If we will courageously take on that, we'll understand God's heart of love and we'll be the most fruitful a human being can be. Okay, so we'll, we'll close out with this last example. And I just like talking about these examples with David because I feel like there's so many real-life examples with David that, that we can just look at and be like, you know what, I can feel the emotion here, and I can feel it resemble moments in my life where I chose not to maybe do the right thing, which David has plenty of those. But then you also see these moments where David just chose to operate and agree with God. And so this last one, I think, is, is really... It's interesting because we, saw, we see David almost make the wrong decision. So David is uh, fleeing from Saul at this point, and he's taking care of this dude named Nabal's uh, livestock. Make sure nothing happens to them. And so at one point, he, he, he sends message, he sends one of his messengers, or a few, to Nabal and asks him for you know, food and supplies, and Nabal basically just scoffs at David. Again, uh, totally disrespects him. And at this point, David's about to just take out Nabal and everyone in his household. I mean, he's about to totally eviscerate this dude. And then Nabal's wife, Abigail, goes and, you know, appeases David, and David relents and chooses not to take out Nabal. Um, really quickly, Travis, and, and if you wouldn't mind, like, just breaking down the end result of Shammai and then also Nabal. So can you break down what was David's thought process? How did he respond in the moment and agree with mercy? And then ultimately, what did God do in both of those situations? Not that it happened every time, but what, what kind of example is that that David showed ultimately in just like allowing God to enact his justice on his own time? Yeah, David's humility and his, acknowledge of his, his acknowledgement of his weakness allowed for God's strength to be made known. And so God didn't, uh, or David didn't cut 
Shami or Shammai's head off when it would have been totally reasonable to do it in those days. He didn't do that, but then God acted for David and Shammai came back groveling. God said, you go say you're sorry. You go humble yourself. And then this thing with Nabal, when God, when David spared him the justice, God then said, all right, Nabal, what you did to my boy, that was wrong and you're going to pay for it. So again, God was David's avenger. So hang in there and God's going to fight your battles. He's going to defend you. Uh, the last thing I want to say is I think it's interesting that we have uh, two Abigails in the house tonight um, because Abigail is uh, the father's joy, right, Emily? The father's joy. Um, and I, I think it's, there's so many, like, mysteries hidden in the Scripture. God prevented David from making a big mistake by sending Abigail. And I think this is a great way to close, um, and it helps complement the flea identity and the flea acceptance. So God had showed David he's nothing but a flea, and that was so safe, that, that fear of God. A flea represents the fear of God. But God led David. He made David wise he protected David by showing and presenting his heart to David. You, David, are the Father's joy. He gave the joy of his heart to David. He said, David, you're the joy of my heart. You're the joy of my heart. And as John Edward prayed at the beginning of the meeting, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of God's father heart for David, that's what made him great. And that was at the end of the day. He didn't stay camped out in the flea mode. He understood he was a flea. He had a flea foundation, but his eyes were on the father's joy. The father's joy. When we see the, the father's joy, we become strong. And our life has endless impact. So, I speak over you fleas. I affectionately declare biblically that you and we together are fleas, but we are the joy of the Father's heart. And I pray that God opens our eyes to see that we're the joy of his heart and that will be the strength of our life. The joy of the Father is our strength. Amen. Well, bless you guys. You are the joy of the Father, and I pray that we would feel that more than ever before. Um, so, precious fleas of God, it's time to flee. We'll see you next week, same time.